This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Warning, the Savage Nation contains adult language, adult content, psychological nudity. Listener discretion is advised. And now, the world's most exciting podcast, The Savage Nation. Home of borders, language, culture, and here he is, New York Times best-selling author and National Radio Hall of Fame inductee, Michael Savage. Welcome to the free version of the Michael Savage podcast, and I'm going to keep it free for all of you. But there are many of you who would love to be able to listen to my show without any ads. I love ads, but many of you want to listen to the podcast free of ads. So we created something for you, a solution. We call it the Savage Premium. For less than the price of one flat, tasteless beer at your local bar, you can receive access to all of my podcasts going back years ad-free for just $3.99. That's at $3.99 a month. You'll get not only my ad-free podcast, but you will also occasionally receive access to material that is exclusive for members only. And I'm going to give you the list in a minute of what you've, what you've missed. You're going to get an occasional monologue from me, maybe a reading from one of my novels, sneak peeks of interviews before anyone else hears them, archive pieces dating back to 1994. Many things that come up, you're going to get exclusive access to Michael Savage material. Details can be seen on my website, michaelsavage.com. And if you want to join... All you got to do is go to glow.fm and search Savage Premium. That's glow.fm and search Savage Premium. Now, you will always have access to my free weekly podcast. I want to be clear about that. That's my promise to you. But if you want less ads and more Savage, join the Savage Premium Club today and never miss a spoken word of mine. It's glow.fm slash Savage Premium. You can find it on michaelsavage.com. And here's some of the stuff that you have missed so far. Michael Savage reading from his best-selling novel, Countdown to Mecca. My words, my voice. Savage reads from one of his lost journals, Fiji, 1968. Savage's first drive-time show, Hour One. My interview with the Jewish gangster, very popular. I uh, read from my first written, published article, Who Was at the Helm? From 1965, it's heard nowhere but on my premium site. I read passages from my novel, Abuse of Power. Uh, we replayed Fat Al's Tuna. My Savage show from 32494, the earliest show in the archive, 32494. My interview with Donald Trump from 110211. 110211, while Mark Levin was mocking him and Sean Hannity was mocking him uh, and the others were mocking him, I was interviewing Trump much more. And remember, subscribers also get ad-free podcasts every week. The cost is less than a beer at a bar, and you get a better buzz with, with the Savage Premium. So go to, go to glow.fm slash Savage Premium for full access to ad-free podcasts and exclusive sound you'll not hear anywhere else. Thank you very much. Welcome to the Savage Nation podcast. Um, I have Dr. Ron Paul with me today. He's an icon. And we have a great conversation for you. And we cover everything from the war against Russia 
inflation, the stock market, gold, what Nixon did to this country, taking us off the gold standard, and all the way back to FDR. In fact, we go back to 1913. I think you're going to enjoy this interview. Please share it with others. Dr. Paul, hi, this is Michael Savage. How are you? Very well, thank you. It's nice to be with you today. That's very kind of you, sir. Um, Since time is short and the ideas are long, let us begin at the beginning. We have quite a scene going on today with the uh, Fed chairman raising the basis points and all that. (laughs) (laughs) I I have dire feelings we're going back into Carter territory, and I'm looking at 18% interest rates. What about you, Dr. Paul? I, I think that's what uh, I'm anticipating, too. You know, the other day they said, well, they're between a rock and a hard place. They're either going to have a depression or inflation. Yeah. I said they're absolutely wrong. They're going to get both. <laughs> no, I we, agree. Remember, if, And, you know, <laughs> Dr. Paul, if anyone can pull it off, it would be Joe Biden. Yeah. And, uh, you know, in the, in the 70s, they kept saying they, they were introduced to this term stagflation in the economists. We never heard of that. And they went on. They didn't realize that you could have inflation and uh, depression and recession at the same time. You know, they always went with the Phillips curve. You know, if you have oh, I have inflation, everything's going to be all right. That's why I was always fascinated with this last 10 years where the Fed's whole goal was to destroy our money at a at a rate of two percent. Let's have two percent price inflation. And I said, well, when you, they get two percent, they aren't going to have it very long, and they're going to be having to wonder when are they going to cut it off. And that's what they're doing now. They're trying to stop the inflation that they worked so hard to get started. Right. I mean, they could have raised interest rates two years ago, or should have been raised even under. Should have been raised under Trump. I think, don't you? Well, I I don't pretend I know what the interest rate is because I think that's the fallacy in, in our system is that there is this pretense of knowledge that a group of people, uh, you know, in the Congress or the president or the uh, uh, or the Fed knows what the interest rate should be. And, uh, you know, Austrian economics says you don't know. It's made up with supply and demand. And once you start tinkering, you're, you're price fixing on the most important price in the world. And that is the price of money, the interest rates. And that messes everything up. So, no, I don't know what the interest rate should be. I think they would be much higher if you had the market. Work. That's what I'm saying. But they've arbitrarily kept the interest rate at zero or less than zero for a couple of yeah. years, and that, that was an interference, right? I mean, we have to agree on that. Oh, yeah, it was horrible. It's never been done before, and, you know, it wouldn't take, uh, you know, a Ph.D. and in uh, economics to realize there was some danger in that, you know, and now the danger is here, and they're still making things worse because they compound, you know, the problems of a correction, which are uh, predictable when they inflate like crazy mm. and distort the market and you have all the debt and the malinvestment uh, to, the, to the point of uh, then they have all the other interference in COVID and, and Biden with the energy policy. That takes a serious problem and makes it a, a horrendous problem. So I think your suggestion that we're going to see much higher interest rates, I think you're correct. You know, I learned this morning, and it was only this morning in watching the the waiting for the appearance of the big meeting today about how many basis points are going to go up. The U.S. inflation rate right now or the rate of inflation is higher than in seven other Western countries. I was shocked that it's higher than all the other countries 
uh, England, France, Italy. I couldn't believe it. Why do you think we have such? Is it because of the printing of money by Biden? Oh, well, I, I think it's the printing of money uh, for at least, uh, I think this cycle that we're in started in 08 because they said, oh, this is a really bad recession. And they talked to people in the QE and that's when they started manipulating with tremendous spending and mm-hmm. interest rates lower and got them down mm-hmm. to zero. So, uh, and then Biden, I think his management uh, and regulatory uh, efforts, you know, in energy in particular, he, he's taken a bad situation and made it much worse. But uh, I wish I could say, well, uh, if we only had the Republicans there all the time. It wouldn't have happened. But no, the Republicans spend money, too. They're, yes. they're, uh, uh, they, 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 they talk better and they will sound like we'll, we'll cut the spending. But how many times have you seen the, uh, in the last 20 years where Republicans really cut anything? No, it's a it's a it's a machine that seems to operate as a one-party system when it comes to economics. But, Dr. Paul, we're talking about a very serious problem here, obviously, because the currency itself is the basis of a society in many ways. And when you start manipulating a currency and it starts to lose its, its value, people have no faith in it. You have uh, things like cryptocurrency arise, for example, which I know is a loaded <laughs> statement. I really don't know your position <laughs> on cryptocurrency, but I always felt that that governments per se would step in to control and eliminate the challenge to the fiat currencies of a nation. What do you think? Oh, they always do. Matter of fact, uh, you know, the, the, the debate goes on about cryptos being the salvation if we run into a lot worse problems. And of course, gold has been used uh, traditionally over thousands of, of years. So, uh, but I, when I talk about this, the problems we have and what we should be doing, I say, and, 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 I, and I get on investment stations where they say, well, what do you do? And we talk a little bit about investing in gold and, and uh, property and that kind of thing. I said, but you know, really, uh, that isn't the answer because governments, I think you just alluded to it, governments will come in and they'll regulate you. Just think of the very first thing that Roosevelt did in 1934. You know, he he stole the gold from the people because the gold was telling the story about what was happening. What? So wait, I don't know liberty, that. Li- what did he do? He liberty took, is what we need. Wait, I, you need to take me back in time. I know that Nixon took us off the gold standard, which I, as a youngster, was stunned by that move. What did Roosevelt do? Roosevelt, uh, you, you know, took, uh, you know, he had the banking emergency as soon as he was elected. And the whole thing was was that every American was under penalty of law and imprisonment. They had to turn in their gold. And oh. for 40 years, we were not allowed to own gold, which is a good measuring rod on what the currency really is doing. So when I got involved in studying economics, uh, especially uh, Austrian economics in the 60s, there were these predictions, you know, that they, we can't do this. We can't maintain this Bretton Woods that was set up in 1945, where gold and the dollar was fixed at $35 an ounce. Foreigners could get money at $35 an ounce, but Americans still couldn't own the gold. And finally, we were running out of gold, uh, even though they took all our gold. The, that's why Nixon had to close the gold window. Foreigners then 
were denied. I think uh, August 15, 1971 is a big, big date because that was a declaration that we're really bankrupt. We destroyed the currency and it would usher in an age that we're living with right now. The 70s were horrible. You know, and the interest rates went up to 21 percent. And uh, now we've gone this next step, uh, you know, with this QE and all all this regulation. So I think we're in the midst of a a change of a a need for a change in the currency itself. Of course, uh, I think that's been undermined systematically since we've had the Fed. You know, Roosevelt did it. Nixon did it. Republicans did it, Democrats did it, because they wanted to have their empire, and they've been able to fool the people into believing that we would be rich forever. But the Mm. declaration now in these last couple of years, if you put COVID together with the war in Ukraine and the inflation that we have, uh, this is further confirmation uh, that, uh, that, that we're going to have to pay the price. Now, people say, Ron, how can you say that? The dollar still's People still want the dollar, you know, internationally. I said, yes, but what you have to use to measure whether or not the dollar's in trouble is how much are you paying for gasoline and how much are you paying for your groceries Mm. and your standard of living is going down. And that is the most important thing because that's also the source of all the social conflict that we're, uh, you know, getting engaged in right now. Michael Savage, a host like no other. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. And we're back with Dr. Ron Paul on the Michael Savage podcast. Well, Dr. Paul, you touched on the war in Ukraine, which is a long topic unto itself. And of course, we have no business there at all. In my opinion, I'm not asking you to tell me that you agree with me, but $40 billion to Ukraine certainly magnified the inflationary pressures in America, number one. But as the breadbasket of Europe, which Ukraine has been for a very long period of human history, uh, we all know and we all see that come the autumn when the spring planting is missed in Ukraine and the harvests are down, uh, we're going to have uh, an inflation in food prices come uh, in in autumn, in my opinion. And we're also going to have rationing if this keeps up. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I sure do. I think you hit the nail on the head because uh, that's what is to be expected. When you destroy the value of the money, you inflate the currency, you run up a lot of debt. The debt has to be liquidated. And there's only two ways you can do it. You can work harder. If you or I go bankrupt, we might have to take a second job and pay off our bills and get out of it. Or we default and declare bankruptcy. Governments, uh, you know, could work harder. The people could work harder, pay higher taxes and, uh, and not to live off the dole. But that's not going to happen. It will not happen. So the only other way you can liquidate the debt and get back to square one so you can have economic growth has to be with the liquidation of debt through inflation. Because, you know, if you inflate and if price, all prices double, 
and they've doubled the money supply, they've just re- reduced the, the real debt by 50%. So that's what their goal is, is to, they must do it. The market will do it for them if they don't do it, uh, you know, with the inflation. The big thing is, is they shouldn't never have done it. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of us, uh, including you, to have paid attention to these debts that have been run up. You can't just have that and think you're going to have prosperity forever. But uh, we, we've been able to get away with a lot that we didn't deserve because we have the reserve currency of the world that gives us license, license to print. And we've had the, we're powerful. We're a wealthy nation. We still are. We, uh, the, the government system that we have, the politicians, they like the idea. The people like the idea of having an empire. They feel good about it. And, uh, you know, in my lifetime, I mean, just think, I remember World War II and I was drafted in the 60s. And it's all, it's, it's all fake stuff. It's, it's <laughs> all to benefit. It's to, to benefit, you know, just like pharmaceuticals benefited from COVID. Well, how many arms manufacturers benefit from all these wars that we find uh, that, that's in? A, that's obviously why we are in Ukraine. And, I, you know, we can spend a lot of time on that. But you have to agree with me on one thing, Dr. Paul, and I mean this in jest to a certain extent. Uh, while Biden may not put a chicken in every pot, he certainly has put pot in every chicken in America. And that's the good news <laughs> <laughs> from the point of view of the Democrats. If they keep the society doped up, perhaps they won't even know what's going on. But getting back to Ukraine, it's very complex. It's been manipulated into pure good and evil. Putin is the devil and uh, Zelensky is the saint. Of course, that's not true. And I believe we have no business fighting a proxy war in Ukraine that could lead to something much worse. Do you believe America has any role in the Ukraine-Russia situation? Uh, no, not not in the sense of interfering. The role internationally that I look is what the founders advised to be friends with people, trade with people, you know, get along with people, do things voluntarily. But to to say that we should throw our weight around, we tell people what we want if they don't do exactly as we say. Just think of the use of sanctions. See, that people say, well, I'm I'm against the war, but I'm for sanctions because I don't like war. But that is an act of war. Well, you if, can you imagine what the United States would do if we were locked out of the marketplace, or that we were so weak that they could freeze up our assets? Mm. I mean, uh, we we wouldn't be very happy about that. So no, no, I, I think, think you're I, I agree with you. I mean, if we go back to the beginnings of World War Two, one of the explanations for Japan, and I'm not justifying it, certainly, but explaining it from their point of view. One of the reasons that Japan went to war against America, as I understand, it, is because Japan was locked out of uh, raw materials in Manchuria. Is that correct? Yes. And it, it, it was interesting. It was we froze their assets. And we prevented them from buying oil, you know, but nobody, nobody is so ironic that that happened back then. But, you know, back then, as you can understand now, it's not as bad now, because right now, uh, I imagine you've been on the receiving end. If you say that we shouldn't go in there and stop those, those Russians, those Russians are coming, you know. Uh, that uh, that that you're a bad guy because that you're un-American. Oh, they've taught, they've taught, they, they call me every name under the sun on social media. And I said, excuse me, I'm for <laughs> peace. It does being for peace make me a stooge of Putin. No, sir, it does not. <laughs> 
uh, we need more people to, uh, speaking this message like you have been, because that's the only solution that I see is changing people's mind. And if, uh, if we're correct and worrying about this and we do have things get much worse, I think uh, one of the goals that I've had has always been, well, what are you going to replace it with? Well, I've worked real hard on uh, what type of a monetary system we would have because the founders, the founders knew a little bit about it. They had runaway inflation with the continental dollar. And mm. they said, only gold and silver can be legal tender. So that's, uh, that to me is so important to make plans for if it's a collapse comes uh, or when it, when it comes, what are you going to advocate? But I think, I think the people in charge and the people who deal with ideas, and I know you deal with them because I listen to your program. The ideas are so important, and the ideas are established by, you know, the progressives in uh, all our universities. You know, they've taught all this horrible economic policy. Oh, most, and, but uh, they couldn't even run a lemonade stand, most of them. They're government, aid, they're government employees. They're on tenure. They don't even know what a job actually is. I know your time is short, Dr. Paul, and the January 6th hearings, in my opinion, are very much like Soviet show trials. There's no cross-examination permitted. Did you ever expect America to be sent to such a level of hysteria? I oh well, I worried about it, and I always hoped it wouldn't come. But I'm not uh, totally shocked uh, that it happened, you know, because I think uh, there were there were uh, in, in, there was enough information out there that was the direction that we were moving. Yeah. I would say 1913 and the progressive area opened the door for all this, and they were very patient, and they keep building, and look where <laughs> we are now. But 1913, they figured you don't own what you are. You it is not yours. Uh, to keep what you were uh, work for hmm. the income belongs to the government and they'll give you all hmm. the rules and regulations on you being able to keep it. And then they got in, involved in the monetary system, which was to manipulate and have central economic planning through the hmm. manipulation of interest rates and passing out the money to the special interests, whether they're pharmaceutical companies, whether it's the educational industry, whether it's, uh, you know, the medical industry or the, weapons industry so they have it and that's for those are people but you know the worst thing is is when the as the inflation gets worse mm. guess what who pays these bills that have to come due is going to be the people who suffer the most from pay the higher prices at the grocery store you know uh you know, you know the people who are paying the middle class and the poor they get hurt a lot more than the people who are the millionaires you know they can live with you know uh increasing prices in bread but the average person is going to really be hurt. And I think it's just starting, you know, uh, the, the disgruntledness uh, that's going, going to exist because then it's going to be class warfare. And, uh, and Biden is one of the worst. He, he, he's, he's always trying to stir up class warfare. Why does he specialize he's... in spreading messages that cause division and hatred? You know, I tweeted just before we spoke today the following. It's a short tweet if you'll... If you'll indulge me, Biden will do more damage than Carter before he is removed from, from office. War, hyperinflation, attack on families, domestic violence, food shortages, price controls, rationing of gasoline. And I said, wait, you will see. I don't think anyone can argue with that. That what's to change the arc of that particular uh, the direction that we're going in? No, that is. You and I must be reading the same books or studying the same thing. <laughs> no, I or think have, we're writing the, the same book. <laughs> <laughs> I think same, we're writing or, the same yeah, book. You know, yeah, 
No, it, it is there, but it's also something even above, you know, the study of economics and understanding the politics of it all. I think it, it really boils down to the politics of morality. Uh, you know, uh, what, what really guides people and uh, I, I will happen to believe in a higher law and that uh, people should. And it fits into the libertarian message that you don't have a right to ever hurt people. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't steal from them. That's been in existence even before the Ten Commandments. You know, don't steal, kill, rob, you know, this sort of thing. And that's just the basic principle. But I think that's totally forgotten. When you think of those hearings, you point that out. That is that really discourages me. That's so discouraging. Disgusting that those lies and innuendos and just go on. So I would think that, uh, you know, and the founders said that at the beginning. They said, you know, what did you give us? Well, we gave you a republic if you can keep it. But you, the only thing that's going to ruin it is uh, whether the people will maintain a mor- moral standard that mm-hmm. will preserve it because the responsibility eventually falls on the moral people. That's why I think people like you that are on the air and talking about these principles are so important because I happen to be an optimist, even with looking at all these things, because I, I run into a lot of people who are doing a lot of education, young people that came out of my presidential campaigns that have their own organizations now. So I think this message of liberty and the message of honesty, uh, it's out there. There's a remnant out there. And mm. I like to think that's that's where the real job is, is to understand it and, uh, and appeal to them and then uh, put it in the category of a moral issue. The people are immoral. A moral government doesn't make us. The Constitution didn't make us better. It's only the people that have to change. And I think uh, I, I think that's something that uh, people aren't much interested in because there's so much dependency on, uh, you know, government taking care of them. But when the money is gone, which mm. it will be, they're going to have to face up to this. We as a nation will have to face up to, to the moral question as well as the financial. Well, that's a big question, this issue of morality. The minute we start in with that, we're called every name under the sun, aren't we? Apparently, yeah, America, yeah. America has confused liberty with degeneracy. And I, I hate to put it in such broad terms, but that's exactly what it comes down to. I do not believe that liberty entails teaching three-year-olds that if they're born uh-huh. a boy, they can become a girl, or if they're born a girl, they can take hormones and become a boy at age three. I do not believe that is liberty. And, you know, that becomes the question of what is libertarianism. And I think that without what you're saying here is that without a moral basis, no philosophy has any value. That's right. And, and they, they believe that uh, the nihilist believes that you cannot know the truth. So anything they say becomes uh, a, a substitute for the, for the truth. No, they yeah. don't believe you can, can know it. So they, they can't even accept any fundamental of not stealing from people, you know, which rejects the whole notion of property. And that, those principles have been around for a long, long time. The Savage Nation. It's Savage On Demand. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. 
Thank you for staying with us. Now back to the interview. You just said that the the so-called progressives are nihilists and that they believe we cannot know the truth, that there is no fundamental truth or truths. Is that is that correct? That's what they believe. Yeah. And that, that sort of comes from Nietzsche. Uh, and uh, they just they, they 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 don't think it's possible. So therefore, it's a vacuum out there. And that opens up the door to Marxism as being moral, morally correct in quotes, you know, that because there is no truth. You, you're saying you shouldn't uh, violate people's property, but then they'll come along with this social gospel and say, oh, no, you have this obligation and you, you have to do this. We have you have to have equity and uh, everybody has to be equal. And that nonsense, you know, about what we're doing with our kids. See, I see that in terms of aggression. You, you know, these operations going on and these kids. Uh, the parents are in derelict, but how, and but now they can get permission from the government, change their sex, and they're only kids. That is so horrible, you know. And that's an act of aggression. That is uh, that is not uh, education at all or volunteerism. There is no volunteerism there at all. Well, I agree. I think that there's there's right. My mother used to say there's right and wrong, and I think we all know what it is. I've spent years yeah, of my no, life. That's right. I I mean. You know, fundamentally, people know right from wrong. And when you start saying there's no difference between right and wrong, what you have are district attorneys releasing uh, serial rapists or serial uh, thieves into the streets the next day because apparently chaos and destruction are the are the modus operandi of the left. Chaos and destruction seems to be a truth that they believe in. But Dr. Paul, yeah. you've done so many good things for America. I don't want to keep you any longer than I already have. Are there any um, closing notes? I know you're a critic of the federal government's fiscal policies. We've talked about that. And you don't like the existence of the Federal Reserve. Can you explain that a little bit? Well, the Federal Reserve is the counterfeiter. Uh, <laughs> they deny the fact that <laughs> they deny the <laughs> fact that uh, that money should be a commodity. All money uh, that has been used throughout the centuries has always originated as a com- commodity, you know, anywhere from cows to horses to silver to gold, and even went to breakdown during war in recent uh, decades. Uh, they have to have something of substance. So uh, that, that to me is, uh, is important, and the founders understood this, because without that, I think I see this as a uh, as something to measure value by. You have to have a unit of account, and there is no unit of account. That's what happened. That's why I think August 15, 1971, was so crucial. And that's when Nixon said, we don't want a unit of account. It restrains the government. You know, it, it, it limits the government's printing presses. Mm. It, 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 but, but also, it also goes along with this lack of uh, a sense of morality. And you, like your mother said, there is, you can know right and wrong. <laughs> they say you don't, need, you don't know right and wrong. So if you don't have a unit of account in the financial markets, you get what we have. We, we have total chaos, and it's much worse than what is, it seems to be becoming but morally it's it's the same thing we don't have a unit of account we don't have we don't have truth <laughs> you know telling the truth is is uh, not what you're supposed to do because that con- confuses the voters <laughs> you know mm-hmm. so you you're supposed to be professional liars to get along with it and believe me uh the demagogues and 
and the liars that go on. Uh, so the, the better the liar, the more advanced they get in, in government. You know, that's uh, that's well, how you get I, promoted. We can go on for hours about Biden seems to make stuff up as he speaks and he just makes stuff <laughs> right. up. He said a thing that was shocking yesterday. He said uh, inflation is worse in all other nations than ours. Uh, no, it isn't President Biden. Ours is worse than in seven uh, industrialized nations. How can he get away with this stuff? Okay, so the next thing, we know what's coming. There's going to be gas lines. There's going to be rationing. I'm afraid that we're going to wind up like we had after World War, during World War II, if this keeps up, which are food coupons in order to buy the basics. That certainly is something mm-hmm. that Democrats could lead us into. You agree? Absolutely. And uh, that that's their answer. Matter of fact, he's hinting to that. This thing just yesterday, I think he was threatening the oil companies. And he was in angry and say, if you're going to do this, we have more tools. And I thought price controls, ways and price controls. See, in 71, uh, when Nixon closed the gold, when he did put on wage and price controls, uh, horrendous for the whole whole system. And I was so impressed by what happened. Shortages occurred the next day Mm. because replacement costs for everything went up. Uh, significantly, mm. so uh, you, the wage and price control, and I'm I'm uh, I'm glad you make that point because that is a devastating point. And there are poor, there are controls now on prices and manipulation, and the Fed the Fed price control of of, uh, of interest rates yeah, that that is a basic flaw. That but that's a price control getting people to do things that they wouldn't have done otherwise. If would there have been this much speculation and debt run up and wars fought if uh, if if we didn't have uh, if we didn't have uh, the control of the interest rate? That's not a market rate of interest. You know, the market rate of interest. Who knows what it is? It's you know when Volcker tried to clean this mess up and and did actually end uh, the bad inflation. Heck, he had to take the market was saying, well. You have to take the interest rates up to twenty one percent, but uh, the market, the people won't allow that to happen right now. People, there'll be a revolution, uh, and and the, and the people who support this tinkering with interest rates right now, moving up a half a point like they're going to do this afternoon. Oh, the market even actually liked it. Oh, we're not going to only raise it a half point today. We're going to raise it three quarters of a point. And the markets are early on today actually liked that. <laughs> the market beeped up to 300 points so that that is not the answer it's a that's a price control and you're right to anticipate and worry about uh price controls that will make this you talk about the shortages that are occurring now oh yeah because of the disruption of the market and and covet the uh the the the, uh, the 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 distribution of goods and services just going to deteriorate much worse uh with wage and price controls and it, uh, I remember the, uh, my dad was in a in a retail dairy business in, during the World War II, hmm. and we were just kids. But uh, we had the the one thing that we sold in the dairy business was butter, and we were taught even like I was probably less than ten years old. Hmm. I was taught that I had to collect those stamps before I could give them a pound of butter. You know, government stamp. You know, the food stamps. Well, that's what I'm afraid is coming on the Nancy Pelosi. Those were the halcyon days of corruption in America. And a lot of those stamps were controlled by the gangs. They were controlled by the mafia. They were controlled by uh, the printing presses. People got them illegally. And that is what I'm afraid of. 
you, you talk about government control. There's no greater government control and control over the basic fundamentals of food, for example, gasoline. And when they start rationing them with ration books, they'll start printing those books uh, in ways that people can't imagine and will be controlled not by the government, but by the same people who now print fake passports. I'll let it, I'll let it go with that. And so I think, I think we, I have to be fair and say that one of my biggest advertisers, and I love them very much, is Birch Gold. I love Birch Gold for one reason. I own gold. I've always believed that gold should be a part of a person's portfolio. I don't hide that. And um, the fact of the matter is, I suspect you believe that holding gold is also a good idea. Well, well, yeah, I agree with what you said, and I have to go one step further that I also work with Birch also. So we came to that same conclusion ourselves, and, and we didn't discuss it before we got involved with Birch. No, it's, it's a good company, and uh, I'm very pleased. And uh, they, they sent me a note today and said that you, uh, you, uh, you were pro-gold and that you were working with Birch. And I said, I bet you that uh, we get along quite well. Well, we got along before the gold connection, and, and that's because I've watched you as a politician, and I, I enjoyed almost everything that ever came <laughs> uh, <laughs> from, from your lips. I, I had your wonderful son on my radio show. You're a great American family. Oh, great. great. And um, I, I am so honored that you took the time to be with us today on the Michael Savage podcast, Dr. Paul, and keep on trucking. Very good, and you too. Oh, I will. Thank you very much, sir. We'll we'll talk again. Thank you. Bye now. Take care. The Savage Nation. It's savage, uncut, unfiltered, and raw. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. We were so honored to have Dr. Ron Paul on the podcast. We went into the Savage Vault, and we found something from the past. You're not going to believe it. I did this interview with Dr. Paul in August of 2011. That's a while ago. That's a while ago. You're going to enjoy this historic radio flashback. I know you will. The other day, I read an article written by the great representative from Texas, Ron Paul. He made more sense to me than anybody else. And instead of me trying to paraphrase what Congressman Paul had to say, we have him on the program now. Representative Paul, it's a real honor to have you. Welcome to the Savage Nation. Thank you. Good to be with you. Congressman, you made it very, very plain. You said if we keep spending at current levels, we could just simply save $400 billion in the next few years, not by cutting anything, but just controlling spending. Isn't that correct? Yeah, you know, if if four years or five years ago we just had frozen the budget, you know, it, it would have you know be balanced by now. But the big charade in Washington is these trillions and trillions of dollars that they're cutting. We're going to cut five. No, let's cut four. No, let's cut five. There are no cuts at all. They're always just cuts in the proposed increases. So <laughs> nobody really has considered any cuts whatsoever. Uh, there's a few bills going around. One that you know I would support, even though it doesn't do enough. It just cut the budget one percent from last year. After five or 
six years, the budget would be balanced. But uh, no, there's no serious intent to uh, to cut. And I think you're sort of right about the passing that bill. That didn't calm the markets. And just think of what they were telling us before we passed the bill. We had to raise the debt limit or the markets would crash. So we raised the <laughs> debt limit and the markets crashed. I think it indicates that they're going to continue the spending as ever. They're not going to default on paying the interest on these debts that we have, but they're going to default by just printing a lot of money. People are going to lose their value of their currency, and that's the way they liquidate debt. Congressman Ron Paul wrote this. He said, the cuts that they were discussing are illusory, and they're not really cuts. And he said it was akin to a family so-called saving $100,000 in expenses by deciding not to buy a Lamborghini and instead getting a fully loaded Mercedes when really their budget dictates that they need to stick with their perfectly serviceable Honda. Uh, do you believe, though, that the market uh, decline today, the big 5% decline today, uh, is directly related to Wall Street being very nervous about this uh, budget debacle, or uh, certainly there's uh, institutional trading and things of that nature involved uh, as well, aren't there? Yeah, I think it's more to it. Uh, sometimes markets are looking for excuses. When there's an excuse and it starts down, maybe the, the market, I don't believe the market was ever worth that much. You know, the recovery here these last uh, uh, several mm -hmm. years was artificial. It was just the Fed making this, you know, desperate effort to reinflate the bubble and created all that money, uh, QE1 and QE2, mm -hmm. and creating trillions of dollars and bailing out the rich and the Wall Streets and the banks. Yeah, they had a lot of cash. They were getting cash for free from the, the Fed, and uh, they were able to uh, buy Treasury bills for that, and, and it made it look like the market was good. But it wasn't real growth. The jobs weren't coming back. The standard of living was going down, and the deficit was exploding. So I think it's all those things put together. And it, the main problem we have in dealing with this crisis is nobody in Washington wants to admit a, call, a cold, hard fact. This country's bankrupt. If you're bankrupt, mm -hmm. you have to do something about it. You just can't, you know, go further into debt. Debt is the problem. So they say, well, I guess the first thing we need to do is increase the debt limit, $2.4 trillion, and that's supposed to help. It, it made no sense whatsoever to me. Ron Paul is a congressman. He is a candidate for the presidency of the United States of America. He makes more sense to me than almost any other candidate. And he, he did a great article the other day. On, on, uh, it was entitled, When a Cut is Not a Cut. And we, we put it up on michaelsavage.com. And all he said was, if we simply kept spending at current levels, that would save $400 billion in the next few years. But Congress didn't even want to do that. They actually wanted to increase the debt. And there is, the, the, the chickens came home to roost in plain English. The fact of the matter is, uh, we have with us a gentleman who knows something about what's really going on, Congressman Ron Paul of Texas. And he wrote a great article the other day called, When a Cut is Not a Cut. Now, you know, your article is, is strange to me because you, you, your title was When a Cut is Not a Cut. Now, you would know what a cut is being an obstetrician by training, correct? <laughs> <laughs> no, I Good do point. trust people who are, who are top-flight professionals who go into politics as opposed to people who have only been in politics. And uh, I, would, I, would say, I would expect that you would know something more about the realities of what's going on than people who've been under the spell of lobbyists their entire life. In plain English, for the millions of people listening to this show, Congressman Paul, if you were president today, what would you do with regard to the budget? Balance the budget. Demand that they balance the budget and quit and do it by stopping the spending. 
And if you don't do that, you just make the problem that much worse. But it's a little bit bigger than that because the system is built in on this whole monetary system where the Fed creates money out of thin air. And you have to stop doing that because that's just what causes the debt, the deficits to pile on, and it also causes the malinvestment. It causes the bubble. So you cannot address this unless you understand how the financial bubble occurs and then allow the mistakes to be corrected. And they won't allow that to happen. All the people who were making a lot of money and went into bankruptcy, we bailed them out. So you have to allow bankruptcy to occur. So we did everything wrong in 2008 by bailing out the banks. Then we went and we created a new bubble. And that's why these financial companies now are in so much trouble, because all they were doing was sucking in all this money that the Fed was creating, and the Fed was buying up all this debt. And guess what? The, the average person, the middle class, suffered from that. They're the ones who lost their jobs and lost their houses. So mm-hmm. we have to have a new monetary system, and we have to immediately balance the budget. And uh, that is not an easy task, because if the people don't understand it and understand it's in their best interest, it won't happen. But right now, a growing number of people are starting to realize that these deficits don't help them, that the government is inept. The government can't provide welfare from cradle to grave because mm-hmm. the system is broke. And I think that's good news, that they're waking up and realizing that we have to have big changes in order to solve this problem. Right. Entitlement is what? Who entitled anybody to everything? But look, B of A down 7.4%. J.P. Morgan Chase down 4.9%. Citigroup down 6.58%. Wells Fargo down 57 These are all financial stocks, and many of these benefited from TARP and some of the other bailout uh, instruments. So why do you suppose they were hit so hard all of a sudden? Is it because they're in trouble again? Yeah, they probably are because it was artificial and they were enjoying the bubble once again. They were the beneficiaries of all that money. The average person didn't get that money. Matter of fact, I asked Bernanke one day, I said, these trillions of dollars, you could have given every single person in this country $16,000, but you gave it to the big corporations and it didn't help the economy. It helped, helped the big banks and all, but they're in the same trouble again. So, uh, you know, it was artificial. And that's why you cannot have and allow the Federal Reserve to manipulate and do the central economic planning. That's what they are. They're central economic planners, and you can't do that. Not, not in a free market. If you believe in free markets and, and uh, market economy, you can't expect somebody like the Federal Reserve to do central economic planning. They just go from one bubble to another. It was a NASDAQ bubble, then a housing bubble, then a financial bubble. And eventually, what happens is the bond bubble, the dollar bubble collapses, and that's going to be the big one. Everybody is frightened today, and they went and they bought, uh, they bought treasury bills, and they buy dollars. But that mm-hmm. is a bubble, too. And when, they, when the panic comes and they leave the dollar and go into real assets, that's when the whole world knows that a new monetary system is on the horizon, because this one will not last. And I think we're approaching it. That's how you have days like this are, are warning signs that that big crash is coming uh, for the dollar. But do you, Congressman Paul, do you agree with me that there is definitely uh, an emotional reaction in the market today to Obama's ignoring the realities of a financial system by increasing the deficit rather than holding the line? Don't you think this has something to do with, with what he did the other day? 
Well, I don't think you can sort out the emotions from reality. Yeah, they get emotional, and that's what panics are all about. But in reality, they it's logical. It, it, sometimes uh, emotions are very, very important. But it's not only emotions. They're reacting to some hard, cold facts that uh, what he's been doing and the way he's been spending and the way he wants to punish anybody who's making profits. Uh, yes, those are facts, and people are reacting logically to this, and then uh, at times they get a bit emotional about it but it's justified i know you have to go in a few seconds but i've come up with a couple of ideas uh social security don't you think the retirement age needs to be raised yeah it has something has to be done because the money that was put in there has been already spent so if you're going to try to salvage it you have to do that but uh you know they're already working very hard to cheat the recipients uh, indirectly, they should be more honest about it and raise the age and do those kind of things. But they don't get cost of living increases. They're already proposing that uh, they change the CPI calculation once again. And mm-hmm. therefore, they're going to get less purchasing power, even though they may get the same amount of money. But if, if there's going to be a long-term correction, yes, you'd have to raise the retirement age and, and do some other things. But I would like to do so much cutting elsewhere in the budget that I'd like to see young people get the chance to opt out. We talk about opting out of Obamacare. Why shouldn't young people say, look, you know, government's not very good at giving me my insurance, whether it's medical insurance or retirement insurance. Uh, the, the young people I talk to uh, seem to agree. They, they don't believe for a minute that this government is going to provide them with a retirement benefit when they're 65. They can't even get a job, so they're, they're willing to assume responsibility for themselves and just stay out of it. But if that were to be done, you'd have to cut a lot of spending in other places. Representative Ron Paul, I know you've got to run, and uh, thanks for being with us on the Savage Nation, and good luck in your presidential aspirations. Thank you very much. Home of Borders, Language, Culture, The Savage Nation. Now, to wrap things up for you today, I'd like to play for you another piece of my radio history. In October of 2019, I had Senator Rand Paul on my show where we discussed socialism and the harm it is doing to our nation. Please enjoy it. We have Senator Rand Paul with his new book, The Case Against Socialism. Is this book necessary now or what? Very much so. Senator Paul, always a pleasure, especially today. Thank you for being with us. Hey, Michael. Thanks for having me. So your book, you say, well, people say, well, it's the obvious. It's really not the obvious. Why is socialism suddenly casting such a spell of hypnosis on the young in America, do you think? Well, the short answer would be government schools. Uh, the long answer is I think we're just not teaching history anymore. And, you know, every example that you can think of of socialism in the last 100 years has really been associated with ultimately authoritarianism, but also ultimately famine and genocide. And it's not just one time. You know, it's not like one socialist here went awry and was a bad person. Mm. Time, time, and time again. And many times the left has started out liking the socialism until they find out there is starvation and then they change their mind. Venezuela is a prime example of that. Well, look, we have prob- a real problem in the nation when you have that that young girl, Alexandria Occasional Cortex, I call her, because I think she's a half-wit. Yet she's extremely popular amongst a lot of other halfwits who do not fully understand the dangers of socialism that has caused millions of deaths around the world as you have so aptly described and importantly so in your new book the case against socialism but i want to ask a bigger question 
when we hear when we raise these these problems, Senator Paul, from the Bernies of the world, they say, well, we're not talking about uh, Russian type of socialism. We're talking about the Scandinavian model. What is that about? Why do they keep doing that? Well, because every other model of socialism hasn't worked. But you have to remember that Bernie was for Venezuelan socialism before he was against it. But let's say we only want to talk about democratic or Scandinavian socialism. My wife and I look at this very extensively in the book, and what we discover is, number one, they're not socialist. In fact, in Denmark, the prime minister of Denmark says to Bernie, hey, pipe down, quit calling us socialist. We're not. We're open for business. We have private property, private corporations and low corporate income taxes. In fact, for the last 20 years, hmm. Scandinavia has had corporate income taxes almost half of what hmm. they are in the United States. So there's a lot to be said about Scandinavia, but they aren't socialist. They do have a big welfare state. So Bernie and others says, oh, we got free college, free health care. But it's not really free. It's paid for by massive taxes on the working class and massive hmm. taxes on the middle class. And these are important questions, because this is the question that Elizabeth Warren's been sidestepping. She hmm. wants to give all the same free stuff Bernie wants to give you, but he says, oh, we're just, we're just going to tax the top 1%. Turns out there's not enough money in the top 1%. To give all the so-called freebies they want to give away, you have to have massive taxes on the working class and the middle class. Well, look, I certainly agree with you. I've been fighting against socialism since I began on radio 25 years ago, because you know my, my, my father fled communism socialism in russia i know what effect it had on people and i think most people who fled the iron curtain certainly agree with you how is it though i have to go back again to this alexandria occasional cortex and so many like her who are brainwashed we know the schools are bad but why are the schools in love with socialism well, the polls are, are alarming. They're showing that over half of young people are, have a good perception of socialism. But when you ask them the next question, uh, what is socialism, only about 15% of the young people can tell you what it is, uh, the state ownership of the means of production, the state ownership of property. And so they're for something because they have this touchy-feely notion that it's about fairness or it's about equality mm. or it's about uh, income equality. It's about being nice to people. It's about free stuff from the government. And so it's important that we go through all of this of describing the previous types of socialism and how they went awry, but also to point to the the stuff they say they want now and to make sure that they're honest about telling people that you can have the government do massive things and give you so-called free stuff as long as you're willing to pay massive taxes for it. They're selling it here, and the big lie of Bernie and AOC is they're, they're selling us a bill of goods. They're saying you can have free stuff, and we're only going to tax the rich people. It's sort of like Santa Claus has come to town. Who wouldn't be for free stuff that doesn't cost you anything? Mm-hmm. But it really does have a cost in massive taxes, but it also has a cost in that it cripples an economy, and ultimately economy can't uh, bear the weight of so many people being pulled in the wagon. Now, The Case Against Socialism by Senator Rand Paul is the book that we're talking about. I want to go to your practice as a doctor. Dr. Paul is a medical doctor, but people don't know he owned his own ophthalmology practice and performed eye surgery for 18 years. To me, that's a great credit, uh, and it shouldn't be ignored. But I know doctors who have left medicine because of the onerous nature, the onerous nature of government intrusion into the ability to practice medicine. Can we talk about that for a minute? 
Yeah, and it's one of the saddest things I've experienced. You know, when I would go to the doctor's lounge in between cases to sit down and have lunch or to have a, a Coke, what we would find is the doctor saying, I don't want my kids to be doctors. And that's a sad state of affairs because I, I really, for me, it's been one of the most enjoyable parts of my life is being able to give people back vision through a skill that I learned and developed. And so it is sad, but it's getting worse and worse and worse. The red tape piles up, and we're not getting socialism uh, all in one fell swoop, but we're getting socialism stab by stab by stab. Every year, the government becomes further in, in charge of a bigger chunk of health care. Senator Paul, you know, as I look at the coming election in 2020, that's looming on the horizon between Donald Trump and whoever they pick on the other side. I think it really will be sort of a choice between socialism and our way of life or our system of life. And I, I run into people from time to time say, oh, Trump is horrible. He's got to go. And I ask them point blank, what has Trump done that's actually affecting you negatively? You know they have no answer. Yeah, and the opposite's actually true. If, if people really want to look at the facts, the average median income is up $4,000. So the median income, I think, went from sixty-two dollars to $66,000 in our country under Trump. The liberals complain about the tax cuts, but it turns out when we cut the tax rates, more tax revenue actually came in. The reason the deficit widened is because we didn't have the discipline to cut spending. Some of us did, but... Unfortunately, we have a bunch of big government Republicans and a bunch of Democrats who don't care about the debt. I agree a thousand percent. The book is called The Case Against Socialism by Senator Rand Paul. Senator, what do you think of this? I mean, look, it's it's a loaded question. Admittedly, this has been going on for years. It's going to go on right through the election. The House will no doubt impeach the president. Don't you agree with that? I think probably. But I think what people will come to believe is that the Democrats are acting in a very partisan way because everything they're accusing the president of, they've been doing themselves. Is it not a quid pro quo that Hillary Clinton actually gave money for information on Donald Trump to a British spy, Hmm. Christopher Steele? That Hmm. sounds like quid pro quo. Is it not true that John Brennan also Hmm. was soliciting information from foreign spy agencies about Donald Trump? Hmm. It goes on and on. Is it not true that Joe Biden went to Ukraine and said... We're going to threaten your aid unless you quit investigating my son's company. Hmm. You know, it's 100 percent true. And of course, the Democrats are experts at smear tactics. Uh, What bothers me the most right now are the secret hearings, the secret trials, secret witnesses. It's something out of the Soviet Union. How did they get away with this? Well, the only body we control is the Senate, and we aren't doing enough over here. I've, I've been saying that our committee chairman, we should be holding public hearings on all the secret hearings. And so we should have all of these people come in. And frankly, Hillary Clinton should be asked the question, did you pay a foreign spy to get dirt on Donald Trump during the campaign? That's a big question. That's worse than anything that they're accusing Donald Trump of. And Hillary Clinton did it. And it's, it's out there for the taking. And no one's denying that she paid a British spy to get dirt and that this British spy actually went to Russian spies and tried to get dirt and then it turned out none of the stuff they said about him in this dossier was true. Mm-hmm. You know, it's pretty dirty stuff. It's third worldish what's going on and I believe personally that it's backfired on the Democrats. I truly believe, I'm talking about the independents now, they know, they know very well what you're saying is true and I don't think the Democrats are going to come out very well from it but that having been said, that's not going to stop them from their fake impeachment inquiry, nor their secret hearings, secret trials, etc. 
what happens in the Senate? This is a weird question, but I'm getting the odd feeling that there are Republicans who are liable to turn on the president. What do you think? You know, behind closed doors, I don't hear much of it at all. There are one or two that I think could vote for impeachment. Hmm. But I would say that, uh, you know, it takes 20. There's 47 Democrats. Hmm. It takes 20 Republicans for impeachment to happen. Fortunately, our founding fathers, while they did put this in there, and it can be abused by a simple majority in the House, it can only be concluded by, you know, a two-thirds of the Senate. So we're looking at 67 votes. 20 Republicans would have to vote for it. And I just don't see that happening. So I think it's going to be almost entirely party line in the House and almost entirely party line in the Senate. I want to go back to your book. It's an important book. It's not just a throwaway book. It's not just fluff to sell a book. The book is The Case Against Socialism by the great guest, Senator Rand Paul. But you go into false science in Chapter 36, Socialism and Climate Change Alarmism Go Together. It's a topic near and dear to me. In the, in the fact that a book that I wrote a couple of years ago, I did a whole chapter on the Vostok ice core samples. But you cite evidence from uh, previous geophysicists and astronomers, including the Serbian geophysicist Milutin Milanovic. And he explained the extreme climate change cycles in the Earth's history based upon the varia- there are variations in the Earth's tilt, the wobbly of the, uh, of the axis, axial precision the eccentric nature of the Earth's orbit. Why is it that the socialists have latched on to so-called alarmism about the uh, climate? Well, this is interesting. We found that several of the leaders were actually frank and open and admitted that the climate change movement was not all about pollution, that it was also about socialism. It was about redistributing wealth from the rich countries to the poor countries. But the other question I have for these global warming climate alarmists is, so we, we know from Milosevic that there are natural cycles. They're about 100,000 years long. Interestingly, about 80,000 years out of 100 is an ice age, and about 20,000 is a warming area where we are now. But the interesting thing is, is I ask global warming people all the time, I say, well, this is what happens in nature. You don't deny that, this, that we have a natural cycle. And they say no. And I say, well, the next question that's really important is, how much of climate change now is nature and how much is man? And they look at you like they've never been asked the question, but then they respond immediately without thinking, oh, it's 100% man now. Man has overtaken the natural cycle. In reality, that's a question. And that's just something that is not known. And I'm willing to admit that man has influence over um, pollution and over global warming, but we should try to minimize pollution. But we shouldn't do that at the expense of uh, the the economy and the economic growth that comes from civilization. And I think those saying the world's going to end in 12 years and teaching that to our kids, they really should be fired and dismissed from teaching school if they're teaching people the world's going to end in 12 years. (laughs) Right. They keep changing it. Nine years, 12 years. Look, before the senator goes, there's a great, great quote in your book. And uh, you're talking about the socialist Green New Deal where there's no dissent permitted. And you write about the great Russian writer who the Soviets executed in 1940 named Isaac Babel. And he made a remark concerning the pervasiveness of Soviet surveillance and control of speech. And he wrote, today, a man only talks freely to his wife at night with the blankets pulled over his head. And then you say, my wife, Kelly, and I sometimes feel the same way, never knowing when our iPhones are eavesdropping. That's very chilling, Senator Paul. 
It is, and it is worrisome because it's not only the technology of a private company listening, then we have to deal with the fact that our, our country, via James Clapper, the hater of Donald Trump, lied to us and said that they weren't collecting all of the data on our phone calls, when in reality, they were collecting every minute and every person and every place you called Every bit of metadata on every phone call is being collected mm. in Utah, and that is an ominous thing. That is a precursor to authoritarianism. It's not a guarantee that you're going to get a dictatorship, but when they have all the information about you, all it takes is a bad person to become in charge of your government to really be worrisome. This is a very daring and very detailed book, and I highly recommend The Case Against Socialism by Senator Rand Paul, a true hero in the United States Senate, in my opinion. Senator Paul, thank you so much for being with us on The Savage Nation. Thanks, Michael. Coming up now, discussion questions for great books, The Republic. Discuss the major issues that Plato addressed in his 4th century B.C. text. How are these issues relevant today? Discuss the literary style of The Republic. Why do you think Plato wrote his text in the dialogue format? Would the Republic be as effective if it were written in another manner? Right, ladies and gentlemen, Michael Savage I talk 560 KSFO. We're talking about what kind of world do you want to live in? What highway are we on? Do we want to be on this highway? We want to create a new highway? What did Plato say? This guy knew what was going on, but that was Greece. This is San Francisco. Is that the idea? He said, no, to keep talking right. until finally we get it right? We are having the same conversation. What is a great society? What ought it be? Plato says, yeah, we better have censorship in the ideal republic because you're going to have Otherwise, you're going to have license. Everyone's going to do what they see on the videotape, and the videotape didn't even exist. He said he would kick out the poets, too. Go up to North Beach. I tend to agree with him. Mike Savage, a radio talk show host who bills himself as the compassionate conservative, reads it regularly to his listeners. No, they share alike. And the only difference... It's sort of a, an internal chess game that I play with myself. And I will read a few pages and find my mind for, um, let's say, the pieces of, of thoughts that dance around in my head sometimes that get out of control, fall in place. It's a way of ordering my mind, my imagination, and all of my mental faculties. 